Let's go to Acts chapter 4 tonight. We'll continue in our series through the book of Acts. Acts and chapter number 4. Series overall entitled, A Church for His Name. That became churches for His name. As churches were planted and spread the gospel throughout their regions. And the gospel was preached and churches were formed. As a result of the preaching of the gospel and people being saved, they had to be assembled, and that's called a church. So that's uh, what the book of Acts is conveying as the movement, the powerful movement of the gospel. The gospel cannot be contained. Amen. It can't be held back. Even though it may face opposition, it cannot be contained. In fact, tonight the title of the message is Encountering Opposition for His Name. Uh, subtitle, which could be the title, and that could be the subtitle, I guess, but another title I gave to it is Just When Things Were Going Well. Just, you ever feel like that? Just when things were going well. Whammo. It's kind of how it goes. Just when things were going well. So we're in Acts chapter 4, and I think you'll see that as we read the first uh, 22 verses here tonight. And as they spake unto the people, so they're in the midst of preaching this uh, message, Peter and John were speaking, preaching. The priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which, were, which heard the word believed. And the number of the men was about 5,000. 5,000. That's remarkable. It's a blessing. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas, those names would be familiar to you, I'm sure, as you've read through Luke. So Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you, I'm sorry, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which, is, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, in other words, they had no formal theological training, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them. I said standing, or the Bible says standing. The lame man standing. Okay, some of you got that. <laughs> they could say nothing against it. 
But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They said, we've got to have something to nail them on. So let's tell them, don't preach in his name anymore. And if they violate that, then we've got them. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated tonight. Seated tonight, We'll consider encountering opposition for his name just when things were going well. As we saw in the last time we were in the book of Acts, uh, we reviewed that, that as Peter and John were on their way up to the temple, that they saw a lame man, a lame man uh, who was carried there every day. He'd been there for a long time, and every day he would be carried there, and he was not able to walk uh, himself, and so he had to rely on the help of others. And this man would be there at that, that beautiful gate, uh, the gate, uh, Nicanor Gate, as many would refer to it, and at this prominent place where people would, would make their way into the temple area, he would sit there and hold out his, his hands, or as a kid's song says, he'd hold out his palms and ask for alms, you know. But he would sit there and he'd ask, he'd ask for alms, alms for the poor, help a poor man, would you please participate in, in helping me? Uh, anything would help. And so that's what this man would do. And as he was there... Peter and John walked by, and they said to this man, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took the man by the right hand and lifted him up. And for the very first time ever in his life, the man stood and felt strength in his legs. Strength so much that he was able to take a step and then another step. And, and then, as we've covered a couple of times and not to demonstrate ever again, he leaped about and twirled and rejoiced because now his legs were under him and he could run and, and he was praising God and rejoicing. Uh, that's what happened in this man's life. He was so very thankful. And people were about and they were amazed. They wondered. And they all knew him. They knew this man. I mean, it's, you know, you, you kind of get used to seeing certain people at a certain intersection or a certain location. You see them, they're, they're asking for money every day, every day, every day. And, and if you see this man, he'd been lame, lame all his life. And now he's walking and leaping and he's no longer asking for money. Then you know, man, something happened to that man. And I know him. He wasn't faking it. This is a real deal. This is, this is a miracle. This is a miracle, a true, legitimate miracle. 
And so when, when they approached Peter and John and, and asking them what happened, then Peter very quickly said, Be it known unto you, it's not anything of us. It's not anything that we've done that make this man whole. But faith in Jesus' name, that's what's made this man whole as you see him. So Jesus, his name, his name represents his person, his authority. Jesus has the authority to make a man physically whole. I just want to stop and say thanks be to God that he's still able to heal our physical bodies and to take care of us in those ways. Well, and we saw that. And, and so faith in Christ makes people strong. As Brother Seth mentioned, as he got to the opportunity to save $50 for, for uh, this project in California or $100 here, and we participated and, and said, you know, $250 towards that or $500 towards that and just helping with different things. Or, yes, we'll take that man on for support. And John Vaught, like we did here, we'll take him on for support as he's going to Scottsdale, Arizona. Here's what we're basically doing, that I had the privilege and opportunity on your behalf as I met with the missions committee and said, you know, here's about what I think we ought to spend this year by way of our church planting and, and, and then coming into uh, that meeting. Here's basically what, what I tried to do on all of our behalf. I believe Jesus can make people in Scottsdale, Arizona whole. I believe he can, I believe he can take care of their spiritual needs. And we'll, in fact, we believe that so much that we'll support it financially. That's basically what it is. So, but I do want to deal with this uh, here tonight and, and uh, not to bog down in it, but it is a very important component of this passage. Would you look again at, at chapter 4 and verse number 16? Now, I know I'm jumping ahead and several ahead of some of the verse, verses, and we'll certainly come back and deal with them. But this is the Sanhedrin. This is that governing Jewish body, and we'll have a little bit more to say about that tonight. But this is their statements that they said. What shall we do to these men? They were, they were in a quandary. They were perplexed. They didn't know what to do as a council. For that, in, for that indeed, a notable what? What's the next word? Miracle. That a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Here's what they're saying. There is no doubt about it. There has been a miracle done here. And that, that word that is um, used as miracle is a very, very significant word that they used. Can I explain to you as to why? Thank you. Um, the word is sometimes translated in our King James Bible, miracle, and sometimes it's translated sign. It basically would be this. It would be a miracle that is a sign. You get it? It's a miracle that is a sign. Well, what does a sign do? Well, if you're driving around and you see a sign, and, and uh, in fact, we just have a new uh, guest parking sign right out here. It says guest parking and has an arrow, and, and we're going to do some other things around the whole church property to try to be a little bit more uh, guest friendly so that they would know where the auditorium is and where restrooms, all that stuff. Anyways, we're going to have signs around. Well, signs point in a certain direction. They point out something. That is of significance. And so in that case, guess parking, turn here. Jesus healing a lame man during his time on the earth was a miraculous sign. These men on behalf and representing the Lord Jesus and under his authority and by Jesus' power and the power in his name, they too healed a, a lame man 
he walks and the Sanhedrin says, this is a sign. It is a notable sign. They were honest to acknowledge that. This is a notable miracle, but they missed it. Have you ever been driving and missed a sign? I'm sure every one of us have. Have you ever missed it two and three times? You know, when you get a, a, a location's address and you're going to a certain store and, you know, I mean, it, you're under pressure, you're driving and trying to make your way in and out of traffic and such, and you're looking, you know, it's got to be on this side of the road. And so you're looking, you're looking, and then you go past what that number is. You think, well, I must have missed it. You turn around and, and you pass it again. And some guy was riding your bumper, you know, and come on, man, you know I mean? That kind of thing. And, and finally you see it and it's like, oh man, there's that sign. It's like, <laughs> okay, there are some that are real small, but, but I've missed a few that are like, Lit up and everything. Can be pretty dense, right? Well, you don't have to agree with that, but I would. Um, But I have to say, how much more clear of a sign could God give? This is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the prophet John the Baptist said. And then as it began to do it, one sign after another sign after another sign, and at this point I'm just going to leave it to your own independent Bible study to look up this word sign and miracle and and see the context in which it is in. But as we saw last time in Isaiah 35, it's in the context of Messiah. And when you see these signs taking place in an accelerated level, then it very well may be that there's a prophet in your midst, but if you see certain things like the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the dead raised to life, then there must be something about this individual. And it's almost like there's a huge knee, if I could say it this way, and not an irreverent way, but like a huge neon sign that's saying, Jesus is the Messiah, and they drove past him and drove past him and walked past him and walked past him and questioned him and questioned him and examined him and examined him and they did all these things and still they crucified him. So what happened? Last Sunday night I was talking to Brother Sasser. Uh, Cody Sasser is here as a, as a student. I'm not sure. Uh, Brother Cody, where are you? Uh, are you... Are you uh, yeah, uh, right over here. Okay, sorry. I'm still... Okay, yeah, there you are. But, uh, Cody's dad is in evangelism among Jewish people. I preached that last uh, Sunday night when he was here, and, and he said, You know, Brother Jason, I've had occasions to go into Jewish synagogues and to engage in evangelism or, or effort in evangelism with some Jewish synagogue leaders. And, and he said, what, what you mentioned is the pivotal point in dealing with Jewish people as I do week by week in presenting Jesus as the Messiah. And he said, I've gone into them and presented, do you see that Jesus performed this miracle and this miracle and this miracle and this miracle? What do all those things add up to? And he said, one place I run to every time I'm in Jewish evangelism type context, maybe not every time, but quite often is Isaiah 35 to say that if all these miracles are taking place, it must be that Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, I've had synagogue leaders who say, I see those things, but and then to get flustered by it and still to drive on by. It is sad, isn't it? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. 
It's very sad. That is the state of events here. And that's the context as to what is taking place. You know, when, when Jesus, when someone receives Jesus as the Messiah, when someone receives Jesus as the Christ, and by salvation in Jesus it makes them whole, then I think everybody ought to rejoice. We ought to rejoice. Well, as we come now, and we'll go back to chapter 4 and verse 1, as we come now to this consideration, we have to see that not everybody was rejoicing. In fact, look again at verse number 1. As they spake unto the people. I mean, the preaching was going on. Peter was preaching Christ, him crucified and risen again. I mean, he's right in the midst of his sermon. And John, evidently, it says, as they spake. So I'm taking it that John also was speaking to some other individuals that were there. And so as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, the Bible says they, they came upon them. Now, that terminology that's used there, it wasn't like... They came in and we're the welcoming party here and we're very glad to have you in our city. And, and as part of the city council, we really just want to welcome you to Jerusalem. <laughs> the idea is that they came upon them in fury. What are you doing? With rage, they came upon them. They descended upon them is the, is the idea. And those that are in the flesh have that way of approaching things. And that's what was taking place here. Here's what I've found. At the same time that we can be rejoicing in what Christ is doing, trouble can be brewing. At the same time that we can be rejoicing in what Jesus, what Christ is doing, even right here at Southwest Baptist Church, trouble can be brewing. I uh, reflect back to the comments of Brother James Wiley. At the uh, Church Planners Conference, he preached a message on Thursday night. He's a, a Mainer from Maine. And um, he said, you know, one thing I find about these conferences like this, and I remember what this is like and still do, um, you come, man, you're getting saturated with preaching and the Word of God and singing, and you get all fired up. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, that's what he said. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, and you go back, and man, there's this problem and that problem. You think, man, come on, I'm so excited. Don't let the air out so soon. <laughs> you ever been there? He's dealing with uh, one of the church planners that we support. And he said, Brother Jason, uh, man, I enjoyed the week. But I got a call on, um, I believe it was on Sunday or on Monday, that one of the gentlemen that was leading singing for our church uh, left a letter of resignation on my desk because of some choices that he's made. I mean, just bam. Things were going, and he enjoyed the conference, but you know, while things are going well, there's still trouble that brews. But let, let's do this. Let's not allow that trouble to rob us of our joy. And we're going to see that in the lives of these disciples. They just, here's what they did. There was trouble that came. They weren't asking for it. No, it wasn't like they had a sign out. Please, persecute us. We'd really like to spend the night in jail. We'd love to stand before the Sanhedrin. We would, we would love to, you know, be stoned. And, and No, they're not like that at all. But here's what they are minded to do. I have been commissioned by Jesus himself. I am under his authority and I can't speak but that which is the good news. 
the gospel. And when I do that, I realize that that may, and Jesus told them that as you go into all the world and you preach the gospel, it is going to bring opposition. Don't shy away from that. Don't go out looking for trouble. It'll find you. Just go out and preach. Just go out and do what you've been called to do. Satan does not sit idly by while the gospel makes progress. And I believe that it's going to come down to this. We're going to need strength in the inner man like we heard on Wednesday night. Strength in the inner man. That comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, up to this point, there had been a favorable response. I mean, I know that this is basically, uh, you know, at the day of Pentecost, this is just a few days into it. But up to this point, they really have had a favorable response. In fact, the, the general populace is going to continue to receive them favorably. The problem actually came from the religious leaders of their day. Now, I want to deal with this and try to... Um, understand what's going on here and present that to you as to, okay, why, why did this come? Why were they so upset? In fact, in uh, verse number two, it says they were grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They, they weren't even, as it points it out here, it's not that they were upset that the men were preaching that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were upset that through Jesus, they were preaching the resurrection from the dead. You hear the difference? Okay, so what's the context here? Let's deal with that here a little bit, and I think it'll help us. And, and um, we'll see how the uh, disciples responded to that, which I believe would be a model for us as well. Make some application, and then we'll all go out to eat. So this will be very, very simple that way. So it says, here's, here's those who descended upon them. First of all, the priests. This would most likely be those who are on duty for evening sacrifice. I don't know how the word spread, but obviously it was happening in the temple area. So maybe as some priests saw what was happening and, and they immediately went to some of the higher ups and said, hey, have you heard what's going on out there? I mean, people are gathering and I mean, things are starting to get out of hand. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, well, yeah, this lame guy got, uh, he was healed and, uh, these two men, I, I mean, these two Galilean men, Peter and John, they, they weren't, they're not theologically trained. They, I didn't go to school with them. You go to school with them? No, I didn't go to school with them. I mean, I, all this developed and somehow they all rushed upon them to find out what was going on. They wanted to squash this as quick as they could. Nip it in the bud. Okay, to use the words of theologian Barney Fife, that's what they were trying to do. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Now, I do need to point this out. It says that the captain of the temple came. Did you see that? The captain of the temple came. This would have been the, mo the second most powerful Jewish leader. The most powerful, of course, would have been the high priest. This time it was Caiaphas. Annas was above him, but Annas was the high priest emeritus. Okay? That's how we would refer to it. He was no longer the high priest, but he, but he was still honored that way. Okay, that's the situation as it was. Now, this captain of the temple, he had reason to act on this very quickly. Being the second in command, being the assistant to the high priest, he would have um, had many duties that would have helped the high priest, but this was really like a stepping stone job for him. The next step for him would have been all the way up to the high priest. 
the, the responsibility that this man carried was the temple grounds. He was responsible to make sure that everything was going smooth, that there was no revolts, there were no revolutions taking place, because that would not have been good with the Romans. He had to keep everything peaceable. So that was his ultimate goal. He had uh, the guard, the prison, the, uh, I'm sorry, the temple guard that would have been under his command. And so basically his role was to do this. And I'm going to say this a few times. His goal was to maintain status quo. Maintain status quo. Keep everything just like it is. Just maintain status quo. His shot at being the high priest would have been shot if there had been a revolt. Or if there had been incited a revolution. And you might say, no, wait a minute. All we're doing, all we're looking at here, all that was happening is that here was a man that was lame and now he's walking and everybody's rejoicing with him. How could that start a revolution? Okay, now that's where we need to do a little bit more digging here. Okay, you with me? Amen. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Sadducees. Sadducees. The Sadducees were the noble class. They were the elite They were the aristocracy of their day, the upper-ups, the conservatives of their day. They were opposed to the Pharisees. They did not get along with them unless they had a common enemy, such as Jesus. They rejected the Pharisees' opinion on the oral tradition, and they were just strictly by the book. But they didn't believe all the book. But they were conservative. Just strictly by the book, but we don't believe in angels. We don't believe in demons. We're opposed to views of the afterlife. We don't believe that there's an afterlife. We don't believe that there's a resurrection of the dead. They are sad, you see. Okay? Now, since they did not live... For the afterlife, they live for the here and now. Does that make sense? No afterlife, so the best we're going to get it is right here. Let's make the most of it. So really their position was more political than it was religious. As far as how it just came out practically. You see, they were... The ruling class. They outranked Pharisees and they outranked the Essenes and they outranked others that were in their groupings and such. And they enjoyed that social hierarchy. They liked being at the top of the chain. They were at peace with Rome, who was ruling the day politically. And so as long as they kept peace with Rome, they kept their power. Rome wanted to use them and use them to keep peace among the general general populace, keep things at status quo, and as a result of that or in turn for that, we'll give you a certain measure of political power. Do you get it? As long as you protect status quo. Keep things running smooth. You have power. They did not want to lose that power due to some Galilean fishermen and a son of a carpenter named Jesus. 
They felt threatened by the presence of these men, but they were more threatened by the fact that a sign had been presented, that a miracle had been done. Now, why would they be concerned about that? They sure didn't like uh, Peter's message, they, they, but not, not necessarily for theological reasons. Their reasoning was more political. They wanted to stay on the, in the hierarchy. They, they, you sure they didn't believe in a general resurrection, but why, why would they be so opposed to that general re- resurrection? And why would, they, why would they approach them and be, be upset that they would preach that? Well, here's why. Preaching, teaching on the, status, on, the, on the resurrection, it would shake up status quo. The reason it would shake up status quo is because resurrection theology was apocalyptic. In other words, it was, it was doctrine of the end times. And they didn't believe that there was end times and that they didn't, they didn't believe that there would be a resurrection. But if the general, the general populace did and the Pharisees did, and they still believe that the Messiah would come and restore the Davidic kingdom. And if the Davidic kingdom was restored, then the Roman kingdom would be gone. If the Roman kingdom is gone, then their platform as Sadducees is gone. You get it? So that's why they are so opposed to this. It's not like they were standing for their faith. They were fighting for their position. So when Peter preached about the resurrection and the author of life and a new Moses that had come, just like Moses said, he referenced in his message about how that Moses said another one would come, another prophet would come. And, and when he would restore all things and he got to preaching about his return and, and the fact that he was still alive, they thought they'd already taken care of that one. But now he's still alive, and evidently he is still alive, because here's this man, and we all know, in good conscience, we have to say, this man was lame, but now this man stands, and they say it happened because of the power that's in the name of Jesus, and so evidently he is still alive. And that fact was troubling their status quo. And so they apprehended these men and locked them up overnight so that the Sanhedrin could come. The Sanhedrin consisted of 71 men based on uh, Moses' 70 leaders plus one, namely Moses. So 70 leaders plus the high priest that was a part of the Sanhedrin, predominantly Sadducees. A few positions were open to the Pharisees, but they were just on there because they were popular with the people. But now they wanted to shut this business down. We've got to stop this because if Rome gets ear of this, they'll look at it and say, well, there must be another revolt coming up. And listen now, Rome had already shut down a whole bunch of other revolts or other revolts during the time even previous to Jesus. But they're coming a kingdom that they can't shut down. But they're going to be concerned about this. And so they're saying, look, we've got to deal with this before this gets out of hand. And word gets back to Rome that there's another revolt. We better deal with it. So they bring these men in. 
They would sit in a semicircle, probably somewhat similar to the choir loft, 71 of them in a couple rows, but sitting in a semicircle. And then they brought in Peter, James, and John and the lame man. And here is their questioning this Jewish council, this body, the, the governing power, Jewish, as far as the Jewish governing power of their day. And they brought these men in for examination and they said, by what power and by what name? Do you do these things? That's all Peter needed. Here comes mini sermon number two. Number three at this point. He's already preached on the day of Pentecost. He's already preached after this lame man was was resurrected. But all he needed was just a little bit of of a question to say, now tell us what name. (laughs) What name is it that you're doing this in? It's a name that's above every name. And neither is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. I'm telling you, Peter preached a little mini sermon to him. I'm preaching to you about Jesus whom you crucified. Would you stop and think about who he just said that to? He, this fisherman from Galilee, stood before the most, the Supreme Court, basically, of their day and said, You crucified him. Woo! Man, that's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. You crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And if you want to know how it is that, and maybe he put his hand on his shoulder. If you want to know how it is that this man is standing before you whole, it's because of the man named Jesus. He made him whole. Well, if he made him whole, that means he healed a lame man. If he healed a lame man, that means that's a sign. Uh Uh-oh. If that's a sign, that means Jesus is the Messiah. If Jesus is the Messiah, that means he's coming again to set up his kingdom. And if we crucified him, we're probably in trouble. No, they were connecting the dots, I believe, very, very well. Well, they interviewed those men, and I'm cutting it pretty short here to say this, but they sent them out so they could talk about it. Silence. I don't know what to do. What do you think we ought to do? Caiaphas, what do you think? Annas, you're the high priest emeritus. What do you think? They had no idea what to do with these men. If you look at verse number 13, it says this. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and boy, did they see it. They, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Here's, here's what they had. They had two fishermen who were bold, uneducated, but they were speaking theology. They'd been with Jesus. Another common man. See, they, they were the elite. And they were looking down on these two fishermen. They didn't go to school. Yet they know this. I'm so glad you can know Jesus and preach him and know theology and know your Bible and not go to Bible college and seminary, cemetery or seminary and, and all these things. I'm so glad that you can, you can know the same God and there's not a higher class and rank. Nope. But they looked at these two men and they said, well, they're, they're just common men. And they're with Jesus and he was just a common man. So they thought, son of a carpenter and son of Mary. We know him. He grew up in Nazareth and that's a small town. What good could come from there? <laughs> well, there's no other way to be saved but by him. 
Another thing they had as evidence was this. Here's a lame man that we can't refute this. Here's all I see, men, that we can do. We need to tell him to stop preaching in Jesus' name. That way, if they do preach in Jesus' name, we can arrest them for breaking our new law. Is that what they did? That's it. We say, because of our power and authority, they brought him back in. You can no longer preach in his name. You'll not say his name in the streets. I don't know how long this went. They really didn't have a whole lot to say. Actually, Peter and John had quite a bit more to say than what they did. But they said, you can no longer say his name in the streets. You don't talk to the people. You don't talk about this resurrection. You just shut this business down and we'll leave you alone. Peter and John said this. Whether it be right in the sight of God or not, judge ye. Because we cannot but speak but the things that we have seen and heard. Because we've seen him alive. You may not want us to speak in his name, but I can't do anything but speak in his name. It's, I, don't know how they, I don't know how they took that. But the Bible says they threatened him more. Well, well Fine. Then we'll, whatever. You know, I mean, Peter and John had a brilliant attitude about it. I don't think they were flippant or arrogant or any way. They're just confident. Why? Because they knew they were standing on solid ground. And they said, it'd be better to obey God than man. You see, we too will face opposition. As we continue with the gospel. I believe we will. I believe we are. I don't think that Satan has suddenly gone on vacation. I don't think he's going to sit idly by while the gospel makes its way around. I believe that uh, missionaries sent out from here are going to face some major opposition. I believe that uh, church planners are going to face some major opposition. I believe that if you... Uh, Try to live for God in your family and in your school and in your workplace and right here at church and you try to live a godly life, I think you're going to face some opposition. It's inevitable. Who says? Jesus said. We had our deacons meeting yesterday morning and um, one of the men brought out, you know, towards the end of our meeting, he, he indicated and said this, you know, it's interesting that in our meetings in the past, he referenced a good number of years ago, maybe eight to ten years ago, that we were talking about uh, CLA's recommendations to a church about lawsuits. Who would have ever thought that in America, church, people would go after a church lawsuit type situations? Yesterday, we spent quite a bit of time, um, I say quite a bit, we spent some time dealing with um, our church security. Uh, Our hospitality teams just met, all of them together. But we we have some times uh, planned throughout the course of this year to try to get everybody educated about church security. Both you get us all educated here in this building so that we would know, just like a uh, bomb threat here north of the city up in Edmond, what would we do? What would be our route? All these things. We discussed some of those things. Going to have some training. I really want to 
just say uh, thanks to a lot of men that are in here. I, I could begin to name some names, but uh, a lot of men have been a part of that. We've been analyzing it for the last couple of years and thinking about, you know, what would we do? What, what do we need to do to be a deterrent, number one, and then to deal with situations? But the point I'm trying to make is this. Isn't it amazing that right here in America, we have to sit down and talk about and think about what we're going to do by way of church security? I believe it's a sign of the time. Our culture has changed around us. We're going to face opposition. Our faith is going to be tested. Our faith is being tested. Brother Bobby Garrett, yesterday I asked him to give a devotion, and he said to the men, his fellow deacons, and the Ted and I being there as well, he said to his fellow um, servants, I want to speak to you just about the theme for the year, by faith. And he said, um, I really enjoyed it, Brother Bobby. I thank God for what you had to say. He said, you know, there's two basic approaches to life. When things happen to you in life, trials come, resistance comes. You can act like and feel like you're a victim. And say, why is all this happening to me? And, and get upset and try to retaliate and all those things. And he used the story of Joseph. It was excellent. You can respond that way or you can respond this way. Analyze your faith. Look at what you believe. And if what we believe is what the Bible says, then let's just keep going by faith. Man, it was good. I've been chewing on that. Been chewing on it. I believe that's what the disciples did. When they faced resistance, they didn't even really have to stop and think about it. Because they already knew what they believed. Which, can I just throw this in there? You need to know what you believe and why. Because your faith is going to be tested. But when the trials come, just come back to what you believe by way of Bible doctrine and Bible truth. Make sure that what you believe is right. Make sure that what you believe is right. If what you believe is not right, then repent. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was coming off of I-44, off the exit ramp, and coming on to, going to make my way onto 44th Street. And that exit ramp dumps you out into uh, the area right there by the um, Christmas store, North Pole. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a one-way street right there. It's a one-way street headed south. Well, there was a suburban... Headed north. I'm coming off the ramp. I thought, oh my word. That is not normal. That is not good. And so, you know, I had the opportunity to get over in the, in the right lane. And, and uh, the individual uh, passed on the, in, the left, in the left lane. And the car behind me, I mean, it was just, I, I just, I didn't even have, hardly have time to think. The car behind me did a little bit of a honk. Uh, to get their attention, and you could see the individual's face like, oh, my word, <laughs> what have I done? And she, oh, man, I was trying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was really, could you tell I was trying? <laughs> the individual quickly turned, you know, off to one of the side roads so that she could make it right, and 
And so anyways, I, she did right. She did the right thing. I'm going the wrong way. I better do something about it. I heard a story about a guy that was, uh, he was on his way home and his wife called on his cell phone and said, honey, be careful on the way home. On the, he was on the, on the interstate. Be careful on the way home on the interstate. The news said that there's a man going in the wrong direction. He said, honey, it's not just one of them. It's a bunch of them that's going the wrong way. Okay. So when you're meeting opposition... Make sure that you are going the right way, that you're supposed to be going that direction. Everybody understand what I'm trying to get across? When you face opposition, number one, make sure that what you believe and where you're standing is right. But once you've determined that, then stand there and don't back down. And in a gracious and yet bold way, stand and move forward. That's what Peter and John did. Because it was right in the sight of God. You see these displays here, these banners by faith. This upcoming September, we're going to emphasize and welcome many pastors and leaders to the global independent Baptist fellowship meeting. The complexion, the nature of that meeting is missions. Some missionaries will be approved for the Global Independent Baptist Missions and so forth. They've been sent by their church. A missions board does not send them. Their church sends them. But nonetheless, we're going to have a global, global independent Baptist fellowship meeting. What I'd like to do as a church, if you'd pray with me about this, is I would like for us to really emphasize that word global in this way. The gospel that we have has got to go global. And we're inviting them to the pioneering state of Oklahoma. You know, this land was settled. I'm studying it right now, and I'll probably work it into some more messages with some more illustrations and such as that. But this land was settled because there were some folks that came. And land runs, and even after that, that settled in some, at that time, some very harsh and difficult conditions. But they did so because pioneers go forward rather than back. And they go into some uncharted territory. And they put down some roots there and they, and they believe that this is where our home ought to be. And they claim some territory. Well, we're inviting people to come to Oklahoma pioneering state to consider another frontier a frontier represented by this year's theme that really is focused on what many would call the 1040 window the most populated area of our earth of our world but the least evangelized in the place where people have the least access to the gospel. I don't want to just totally focus on that because everywhere needs the gospel. And anywhere you go, you're going to face some resistance. But I know that as missionaries go into that window, they're going to face some resistance. How can they go? By faith. 
But if you're going to go this week to somebody and share the gospel, be persuaded what you believe is right, stay in your lane, drive nice, and share the truth. You may meet resistance, but just go forward by faith. Faith in His name. Let's stand together tonight. If tonight you happen to be not going in the right direction with your life or your doctrine, but we might consider your life as well, then certainly it would call on you to get right with the Lord. And if you are right and yet you're facing some opposition for that and you're right by the grace of God and basing things on the Word of God, then just keep believing and just keep preaching and just keep going. Father, I anticipate that as we try to claim new territory for Christ, whether it's in an individual's life, maybe they're going to claim some territory of some Bible reading time that used to be used for other things, or whether it's a marriage that needs to be back stable, or, or maybe if it is advancing with the gospel, then God, I certainly pray for them because I know that we're going to meet resistance. And as we do encounter that resistance, I pray for your help. In Jesus' name, 